This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Way before Paris, Lindsay, and Brittany, prior to Madonna, Cher, and Barbara, previous to Marilyn, Lana, and Rita, even before May and Betty, there was Lily Langtree. Lily Langtree, née Emily Charlotte Le Breton, was an English actress born in 1853. But Lily wasn't famous for her superb skills as a thespian. Rather, she was famous simply for being famous. An ambitious young country girl, Lily Langtree, orchestrated her rise to prominence by having her portrait painted by the artist John Millay and Whistler and then advertised her fabulousness on postcards sold for a penny. In short, Lily Langtree was the world's first celebrity. While the 20th century did not invent the cult of celebrity, this was the era in which fame was elevated to the status of an industry. Nowadays, all those either famous or seeking fame have a regimen of publicists, paparazzi, agents, lawyers, and bodyguards ready to emblazon their image on the cover of tabloids, reality television, YouTube, and television shows such as Entertainment Tonight. Celebrities are not famous for their dramatic talent or musical ability or sports acumen or their capacity for making large sums of money. Celebrities are now famous simply for being famous. For as long as I can remember, I've had an intense fascination with a type of celebrity. My first serious crush was on the Brady Bunch's Marsha Brady. I spent hours poring through Tiger Beat for every morsel I could muster out of the magazine, what she wore, who she was dating, even what products she used to wash her hair. After Marsha, I became entranced with Karen Carpenter, followed by Olivia Newton-John, then Lauren Nero, Patti Smith, Carol King, Joni Mitchell, and Ricky Lee Jones. By the time I fell under the spell of Stevie Nicks, my pattern of infatuation was set. I studied the album cover art with the precision of a biologist, memorized all of the lyrics of songs they sang, and took on the eerily obsessive habit of trying to imitate each performer's personal style. In other words, when I was bewitched by Joni, I doned fringy vests and choker necklaces made of seashells, when I was besotted by Laura, I stopped shaving my legs. And when I was spellbound by Stevie, I wore long, gauzy shawls and platform boots. Somehow, I believed that I, if I imitated the visual personas of these artists, I too could become an artist, complete with their flair, savoir-faire, popularity, success, and charm. In his book, Celebrity and Power, David Marshall writes, celebrity is a way in which meaning can be housed and categorized into something that provides a source and origin for meaning. 
whatever thoughts, feelings, and intuitions people may have, particularly about what may constitute the good life, can be arranged under appropriate celebrity headings, each labeled with a celebrity face. So it is not really surprising that an impressionable teenager searching for style would attempt to emulate celebrity heroes, whether they be the way they dress or sing or even behave. I believe that this fracturing of identity, so to speak, is in some ways part of our human nature as we experiment with who we are and what we want to become. But the constant widening of the gulf between achievement and popular adulation leaves us hooked on a literal play-by-play of celebrities famous simply for being famous. Why do we need such drama and spectacle? The sturm and drang of Brittany and Lindsay and Jen and Angelina pale in comparison to those who truly achieve, scientists and physicists and neurobiologists and poets. According to Michael Gellert in his book, The Fate of America, An Inquiry into National Character, like the cults of prosperity and motion and speed, the cult of celebrity is diffused throughout American culture. The objects of its glorification are not heroic ideals or godlike abilities, but people. All the same, celebrity is a cult of height because it is connected with status. The ultimate version of the good life is to be rich and famous. Fame or celebrity status is status publicly celebrated. Perhaps we publicly celebrate those who haven't achieved very much as a projection of how we wish we could be treated for also being ordinary or untalented. After all, as I attempted to mimic my beloved childhood superstars, I think what I was really trying to do was shorten the distance between how I privately felt about myself and how the world publicly felt about these appointed luminaries. Several years after my foray into the fashion foibles of Fleetwood Mac, I, along with most of the rest of the galaxy, became mesmerized by the phenomena of a new breed of celebrity in the unapologetically ambitious form of Madonna. While the young girls of the world sported rubber bracelets and rhinestone boy toy belts, I hesitated with this new look, primarily because I didn't think I could pull it off. But when Madonna cut and curled her hair and starred opposite Warren Beatty in the movie Dick Tracy, I made my move. With naturally curly ringlets, I crossed my fingers as I tried to morph into a Madonna-esque movie vixen. I debuted my uber-bleached blonde hairdo, complete with fire engine red lipstick and matching nail polish, at my cousin's wedding, to little or no fanfare, until my eight-year-old cousin Ben beckoned me over to the table where he and his young friends were sitting. He looked at me intently and motioned me closer. Then he leaned over and boldly whispered into my ear, I know who you are. I looked at him in confusion. What do you mean? I responded. Of course you know who I am. No, he insisted with a smarty pants tone in his voice. I know who you really are. I looked at him beseechingly, fearful that he didn't know how or why his mother and I were family. I tried to explain how we were related, but he brushed my words aside and impatiently denounced my identity. You can't fool me, he declared. I know who you are. You're not my cousin Debbie. You are Breathless Mahoney. And with that, I laughed as I realized that rather than appropriating the appearance of the world's most fabulous superstar, I had taken on the persona 
of a colorful, albeit popular, two-dimensional animated cartoon character. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is Jeffrey Keaton. Before we get started with today's interview, please let me tell you a bit more about him. Jeffrey Keaton is the Senior Vice President of MTV Design and Off-Air Creative. He oversees the award-winning design teams for MTV Music Television and MTV2 and visual branding for both MTV2 and MTV's 24-hour college network, MTVU. During his 20 years at the company, he's been instrumental in making MTV one of the most recognizable brands in the world. The work of Jeffrey and his team have won numerous awards all over the world, including the prestigious Clio Award, Golden and Silver Awards from the Broadcast Design Association, and the Art Directors Club, as well as the One Show Award. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hello, thank you. So great to have you here. At long last, I've been trying to get you on the show all four seasons. So thrilled you are here with us. So, oh, thank you. Back in 1981, when MTV first went on the air, I think everyone would agree it was a defining moment in our media and our culture. Do you remember where you were and what you were doing when MTV first started? God, I think I might have been working for Conrad's at that time. Oh, really? Were you you there watching the moment when it first went on the air? I, mean, I have to say, I probably didn't watch that much television uh, at that time, believe it or not. But no, I was not there watching it on the on the air. I might have been a little late to uh, come to what MTV was all about, in all honesty. So when did you first hear about MTV or realize what MTV was? I, mean, I think eventually just probably word of mouth. You know, I started watching videos on, on television and, um, you know, my wife was... Uh, and doing record covers, um, so she was kind of in the business. I knew, you know, had a lot of friends, and everyone kind of was uh, hanging out with creatively. Was all kind of connected to the music business. So, so how did you first get the job at MTV? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's a kind of long road, but of all places, um, I was working at Connoisseur Magazine um, prior to getting my job at MTV, and. Um, and so I kind of heard about it from actually my wife, Stacy. It's a funny story. She actually um, interviewed for the job, too, but wound up getting a promotion at um, her gig at Columbia Records. And um, so I kind of um, went to work there. It's funny, when I got interviewed, uh, this one big executive said it's a great portfolio, but uh, I don't quite see where the rock and roll is. But, <laughs> you know, but I kept a lot of my school stuff. And I felt that was always important. You know, I was interviewing someone the other day in my office, and, and you know, they were kind of saying, oh, I could do this, and I could work at MTV, and they didn't really show any work. And I was like, you know, you know you're in a situation where maybe you can't um, truly express yourself. I think it's important to kind of keep that going, and you have to, you know, be proactive and do that on your own. So I was kind of like, uh, essentially, talk is cheap. So fortunately, I always kind of, you know, did things and kept work going. Even when I was out of school, I could still convey that kind of creative side of me that I felt I couldn't express in my prior jobs. 
Well, um, we're going to take our first break, Jeffrey, and after we come back, I want to talk to you all about what it was like to first be at MTV and then the 20 years since. Uh, I'd like to let our listeners know that you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the Senior Vice President and Creative Director of MTV, Jeffrey Keaton. Please don't go away. We will be right back after our broadcast with our broadcast after these messages. 401s, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. Welcome to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe, where creative professionals speak out about their work and what inspires them. Joshua Davis and his studio, the Department of Notation, start with design elements and then use computer programs to randomly generate artwork based on mathematical algorithms. Josh, tell us about your process. And it actually starts not digital at all. I actually just ink the stuff with just an ordinary rapidograph ink pen. And then I literally retrace what I've just drawn so that I can use them inside of the computer. And then I can let these things run. I can let these things make decisions. I'm controlling the system. I'm saying you have to stay in this spot. You can only be these colors. You can't go any smaller than this. You can't go any bigger than this. So I'm constructing all of these boundaries and the system acts randomly within those boundaries. I generally don't know where things are going to take me. So it's kind of like generating snowflakes. You've been listening to Voices of Design brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Joshua Davis tells us about one of his recent projects. Mom, my tooth fell out. The coach says I can play shortstop. I get to be a deciduous tree. You live for the first in your child's life. But how do you cope with the first that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be. Success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daily, broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow, learn the rules of the game, then play better than anyone else. Welcome to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe, where creative professionals speak out about their work and what inspires them. Joshua Davis and his studio, the Department of Notation, start with design elements and then use computer programs to randomly generate artwork based on mathematical algorithms. Josh, tell us about your process. And it actually starts not digital at all. I actually just ink the stuff with just an ordinary rapidograph ink pen. And then I literally retrace what I've just drawn so that I can use them inside of the computer. And then I can let these things run. I can let these things make decisions. I'm controlling the system. I'm saying you have to stay in this spot. You can only be these colors. You can't go any smaller than this. You can't go any bigger than this. So I'm constructing all of these boundaries and the system acts randomly within those boundaries. I generally don't know where things are going to take me. So it's kind of like generating snowflakes. You've been listening to Voices of Design brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Joshua Davis tells us about one of his recent projects. 
keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.19 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the Creative Director and Senior Vice President at MTV, Jeffrey Keaton. If you'd like to join our conversation, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And, Jeffrey, before the break, we were talking about when you first um, became aware of MTV and the uh, initial impressions uh, at your interview. But let's go a little bit before that. Um, when you were very little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you did you think that you wanted to be a creative director? Yeah, it was kind of... Um the little kind of creative star since I could remember, you know, I, and I think my mother uh, always kind of for some reason wanted to push me into the uh, to the art. So, you know, as far as I look back, it was, you know, I kind of always felt like art was my my thing, you know. Perhaps I got the most praise for that or positive reinforcement, but, uh, you know, I think I you know, was fortunate to know at a pretty early age that somehow I'd wind up in, in some kind of creative field, exactly what I didn't know, but um, it's kind of pretty much a very strong memory that goes back to very early childhood. Now, I understand that before you worked at MTV, you worked on a number of mainstream consumer brands and learned what I would um, quote here as you saying as what not to do. Right. Um, so tell, tell us about that. I was, you know, it was just kind of funny. I worked with this guy, Thomas Gonda, for a while, and we used to do all this IBM stuff, and uh, Booz Allen and Hamilton, and it was, uh, he was kind of a master of that kind of old Swiss style. I think he used to be design director of Pirelli, and, uh, and, uh, he was kind of schooled in that very kind of grid thing, but it just was you know, very interesting to me how, uh, you know, he'd have all these set rules of, um, Things you could do and not do, like you know, never set headlines in all caps, and never do any cap initials and paragraphs. And I always kind of found that to be um, kind of very kind of stifling and uh, not too too expressive. You know, it just seemed a little too uh, lack of uh, intuition in the work, a little right. too kind of analytical. What would you say were some of the things that you learned that that you learned not to do that you now do? <laughs> well, you know, I think the biggest thing I learned from that is you just can't limit yourself to the possibilities. You know, it just seemed to me to kind of, you know, the notion of creativity and rules just seemed a little hypocritical to me. I just couldn't quite understand uh, why you had to associate, uh, you know, the expression of, of thought and creativity and attach rules to that. So I think that kind of... And, you know, enforced to me that, you know, I just have to be open-ended because as soon as you start to edit and, and, and kind of set yourself up like this or, or think what other people might think or try to think what your boss is going to think or the client's going to think, um, I think that editing process kind of makes you a little bit more kind of creatively constipated and it doesn't help to think out of the box, which is kind of really, I think, 
been essential for me to survive at MTV for like 20 years to kind of keep it constantly fresh. Uh-huh. Now, do you ever worry that you might not be staying on the top of trends or that you might not be able to be um, at, at the forefront of, of creativity in the way that MTV should be? Is that something you, know, you ever worry about? It's funny because, you know, I think about that quite a bit. And, and you know, right now we're kind of working on a rebranding of the MTV brand. I can't, unfortunately, talk to you specifically about that. But, uh, but you know, I think we live in a time, and I think all of us as creative people share this, where, you know, so much work is being done that it becomes harder and harder to kind of own anything or claim a piece of territory. You know, it's funny. I... I um, I saw this little thing in the, one of the Times, New York Times supplement today, and I kind of got a little irate, you know, seeing this thing about Michael Beirut and, you know, cutting up the sax logo. And I was like, geez, we've been doing that for two years at MTV on the MTV screen, and, you know, we just have this ongoing dynamic identity, and we never make any noise about it and uh, publicize it. And But then again, you know, what is really new today or hasn't been done, I, I think it's just a very difficult time to um, to kind of stand out because it's just good design and it's becoming a little bit more ubiquitous, which is becoming a challenge and being unique and different. Mm-hmm. Well, how do, what, what do you use for influence? I mean, what do you, what influences you most? What do you listen to? What do you read? What do you watch? I think it's a lot of like fine art photography. It mostly gets me jazzed. Jazzed a lot, and, and lately, kind of also uh, get inspired by architecture and uh, interior design, furnishings, and also nature. Really, just like staring at the beauty of nature. I mean, I was just prior to the show, I was looking out my window, and you know, kind of living on wooded um, area, and I'm looking at how all these trees are just kind of intermingled, and it just kind of reminded me of just. Uh, the kind of clutter, the visual clutter that we exist in, in today. And, and, you know, trying to see these trees, like, trying to kind of reach out and find their spot in the sun. And I realized, wow, that's just that much, you know, the kind of same kind of struggle I have to go through as a creative person, too. So, it's uh, you know, lately so much I kind of find um, looking for those kind of metaphors in life in general and then trying to reapply them. Uh, is uh, like a big source of inspiration for me. Do you ever worry that MTV might be contributing to the clutter, or do you feel that oh, it's... Oh, it definitely contributes to, to the clutter, you know, when you sit there and see, you know, kind of a certain graphic style that you felt you might have... You know, I, don't, you know, I just don't ever feel like ever felt anybody ever owned anything, and you know, I've always been a big proponent of that, but... Uh, when you start to see similar things that you felt you might have graphically done appearing on Kentucky Fried uh, Chicken commercials, you realize it's becoming very oversaturated. So, and uh, so maybe the idea is to you know, strip it down. And still, have always been a big believer in concepts and ideas. It's what it's about. And you know, because decoration, I always feel is kind of very transient of the moment. Mm-hmm. Dispensable, disposable. So. That's, that's, you know, I kind of always kind of look at it like that as kind of uh, always being in the wind to some degree. So it's just that kind of more that new idea and getting that idea or that kind of thinking or a different point of view is what ultimately 
gets gets me charged, and and sometimes that gets a little harder for even the viewer or other people to really hopefully connect with that because once again, the visual part can be very very fleeting. Now, I, I know that one of your major influencers was the um, legendary design and illustration instructor Charles Goslin, who taught you about design as concept. And yes, I'm glad that you just mentioned that because I I wanted to ask you more about that. Um, tell us about a project or or um, an example of your work that you feel best expresses that the idea of design as concept, if you can. Well, I think it's you know, for instance. Um, we did some packaging years ago for the Video Music Awards, and it was at the Metropolitan Opera House, kind of. And if you look today, you know, what they would do with those things, it's kind of a very literal thing. Some people might take best male video and, and do some type solution or um, decoration, but doesn't really say anything. So, you know, in this case, we were at the Opera House, and MTV's kind of rock and roll, and it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty major thing to think, like, this kind of rock and roll irreverent show is that this kind of sacred hallowed ground of of opera and what all that represents. So you know, so we did this packaging that was kind of metaphorical of nature documentaries and, and associated once again this this metaphor thing is is kind of a theme to the work. Um, and it became a kind of a parody of that whole stuffy world and what that was about. So not only did we mock you know, the categories in, in our business through, you know, hippos waiting and, and tortoises having sex for, like, best, uh, you know, R&B video. But <laughs> then, you know, then the whole thing was cast in a very stodgy, you know, English kind of, like, tone of, like, the, the, the hippopotamus consumes, like, 500 pounds of grass a day. And, and, you know, that's a very inside joke because everybody knows in the hip-hop community they, they smoke a lot of pot, so... You know, some of that stuff, you have to be a little bit familiar with that world. But I think that was a pretty bold statement to kind of, you know, in a very kind of fun, not really belittling what the opera was about, but it was kind of nice to maybe poke fun and realistic about what it was for us to be in that kind of world, you know, and, and they kind of hopefully make statements. You know, one year we, we kind of worked with Kevin O'Callaghan at the School of Visual Arts and we took our award and turned it into just objects, you know, from nutcrackers to meat sausage grinders. And they, and I think that notion of taking the award and, and kind of transforming it, not being so precious about it, made a whole commentary about what, what award shows are about, what that means to, to win an award, and, and um, whether they're really real or just or, you know, politically underneath. People are determining who wins, who loses, but it was, you know, Pretty cool to think that you could kind of make that statement that one could say, you know, it's even interesting what you were saying in your outstanding monologue about, um, you know, celebrity and stuff. I think that kind of made a commentary on all of that. So what's it like to be in that world all of the time? I mean, all of the rock stars, all of the um, demands, all of the sort of hoopla. What's that like for you? I think I think it's it's amusing, you know. It's entertaining. It's 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 kind of funny, and I think it gives you you know gives you the perspective sometimes because I think uh, sometimes you just have to keep a sense of humor about it because people can take it all too seriously. Do you find that the celebrities take it too seriously? 
Some do, some don't. You know, I think sometimes what's sad is I think their publicists and all their handlers and all of them take it too seriously. You know, you kind of can get through them sometimes and, and get to the celebrities. They're just there, but the kids just like we are. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, when we come back, I want to talk to you more about your experiences and a little bit about how you go about creating the work that you do. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the Creative Director and Senior Vice President at MTV, Jeffrey Keaton. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Joshua Davis, who puts his designs through computer programs to create unusual abstract designs. Joshua, you've been creating some original poster art using design elements from BMW's new Z4 Coupe. Tell us about that. The thing that I'm doing for BMW is an addition of three colors. So there's green, there's blue, and there's orange. But every print's different. So print one is going to look totally different than print two. So this kind of goes more in tune with the kind of philosophy that I'm trying to create is is that everything can be an original piece of artwork. So what's next for you? Fashion would be the kind of next thing that I really kind of tackle, which is why can't every shirt or every handbag or whatever be unique? You know, so you're really generating something that's very specific to just that one object. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. Coming up in the next break, Joshua Davis talks about how he deals with his critics. Hi, I'm Sean Markey of Georgia Pacific, and I'm here to invite you to attend Fuse, Brand Identity and Package Design, this April in New York City. You might have heard the Bad Boys of Design segment on Design Matters, but now you can see it in person. The Fuse event is proud to announce their own version of the show, the Bad Boys of Brand Design, as the official kickoff to the 2007 event. Join me, along with other brand designers from Colgate-Palmolive, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, and Del Monte as we discuss how design can strategically build your brand. Plus, hear from design leaders from OXO, Procter & Gamble, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, and more, who will give you actionable insights for fueling change and driving growth in your company. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www. IIRUSA.com slash BIPD or email register at IIRUSA.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. I'll see you April 16th to the 18th at Pier 60 at Chelsea Piers in New York City. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the Creative Director and Senior Vice President at MTV, Jeffrey Keaton. If you'd like to speak with Jeffrey, our phone lines are now open. You can call 1-866-472-5790. And, Jeffrey, we do have a caller on the line. We have Marianne. Marianne, thank you for calling Design Matters. 
Hi, how are you? Hi, Marianne. Hi. So I've got a question for you, um, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. I, I believe MTV is owned by Viacom, is that correct? Yep. And I was wondering if you, what, what you think about the YouTube-Viacom controversy and what you think might happen with that, if it might affect you also. You know, I think, you know, this whole YouTube thing is, is um, kind of a very fascinating thing, and I think, you know, everybody's still trying to sort out this whole notion of... of um, Ownership and owning rights, and I think to some degree, um, people have to respect that as creative people that you just can't take someone else's content and, and just readily, you know, reproduce that and uh, put that on without compensating them from, um, you know, for for the rights you know, because the investment and everything in making all this this stuff. I mean, some of this stuff is. Uh, you know, kids out there just take a video camera and put it right on a television set and upload that on um, YouTube. So it isn't perhaps per se that they are, YouTube people are literally doing that. I guess, you know, part of the beef with the company is how can they write software programs that could hopefully kind of catch that a little bit more. But I think uh, it all relates to us as creative people you know, for our creative endeavors, do deserve to be compensated for that. And um, that kind of distribution like that, uh, people are kind of doing that and not reimbursing people, I do think is kind of um, not right in my opinion. I don't, you know, I um, firmly believe that even beyond towing the company line. I just think that is, that is just and people should respect that. Is that answering your question, Marianne? Yes, thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you. Thank you for calling Design Matters. You know, the whole, it's really interesting, Jeffrey, this whole, you know, user-generated content um, world that we're currently living in. Um, on the one hand, you know, it creates a certain democratic approach to entertaining in yeah. that anybody can do just about anything they want. But I think it, it suffers from a lot of the same things that, that, blogs have suffered from over the years and that not having somebody closely editing the content means that there's a lot of really bad content out there but do you have a do you have a, a sort of an opinion on the whole idea of what the possibilities are for user generated content um pardon i just had a little beep so i missed that last one um do you have an opinion on on what the road ahead what holds for user-generated content? Do you have a prediction on where this is going to go in our culture? I don't know if it's ever going to kind of totally go away. And in and, and one way, I think it's pretty exciting that people feel this kind of intuitive need to kind of express themselves and that technology has made that a lot easier to kind of to share and validate. I mean, I think... You know, as kids, you know, sometimes it's funny. I think the fundamental things have never really changed, you know, from my generation to my parents' generation, that everybody wants validation of who they are and what they're they're about. And the computer and, I think, you know, social websites and social networking has been really fabulous, I think, in people kind of getting a sense of validation because, you know, even if it comes from peer-to-peer, you know, I just think it's fantastic for anyone to kind of feel better about themselves through kind of distributing and being creative. But with that said, you know, I think it starts to undermine a little bit about um, what what it is to be professional and go to art school and spend all this money on a 
on a degree and stuff, and then you start to see companies start to kind of hire people and, and pay them, um, you know, practically nothing or just think you could turn it all over to, um, to the user to make art that you don't necessarily need the professionals anymore to do it. It's something that could be concerning because you don't want the visual medium to just become essentially uh, uh, something that needs to be in a museum like the Museum of, of Modern Art. So it's... Um, but at some point, perhaps, maybe everyone will get kind of um, a little frustrated with the, um, the lack of professionalism in some of this stuff and realize that there is a reason why certain people are professionals and, and um, kind of stand out and why that stuff's a little stronger entertaining. But once again, there seems to be millions and millions of people that are quite happy just watching some bad lo-fi um, Cat, you know, pissing videos of cats pissing at each other. And <laughs> like, it's so funny. Whenever anybody talks about sort of the basest forms of user-generated content, there always is a cat involved. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. So interesting. But I was really interested in, in terms of what you said before about validation. And I think that some of the criticism that's been aimed at first blogging and now the um, user-generated content uh video-wise, has has been about the idea that anybody can put up their ideas and their thoughts and their opinions and their art and find, to some degree or another, an audience. And, yes. you know, this, this whole idea of personal and artistic validation is one that really intrigues me in terms of the whole point of putting out all of this work, whether it be garbage or whether it be really good, for feedback and validation. What do you, I mean, and I think that this in, in many ways dovetails into the celebrity culture that we're living in and the idea yeah. that anybody can put up anything and become famous for anything, even if it is about a, you know, cat flushing the toilet. Yeah. So, so what is your, why is this happening now in our culture? What is your thoughts about, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I think, you know, sometimes I think it's a frustration of, you could say, kids today feel that um, you know, everybody's gotten too greedy about these things, too. You know, certainly when you look at how much music is still being illegally downloaded, you, you kind of get tired of hearing how much people make or, you know, how much money baseball players make and athletes. And it's absurd. And, you know, you're still kind of struggling. And then you read, I don't know if anybody read that thing about Circuit City layoffs where they say people just in these kind of, Jobs stay there too long, and, and they make, um, you know, just from being there and getting increases, 3% increases every year, then they make too much and they lose their jobs, and now they're older, and what are they going to do? It's, uh, you know, I think there's a backlash to, to all of this, and, and the backlash against what's perceived as the gatekeepers, which I could say, hey, I'm part of that system, too, of that, you know, if you think you have a great idea, you want to get something through and who can you show it to, your script, your film, that um, it's just too hard to have access to those those people. It's too, you know, do you know someone? Do you have an in? How are you going to kind of break into that whole system? And now you just can be self-empowered and just kind of do it on yourself and form your own networks. I mean, in some ways it's, it's fascinating because you could create your own networks, your own visual thing, and you don't really need anyone else's approval outside of what you can get uh, from your peers. So I think it's that kind of just self 
empowerment thing and and you know another universal thing you could say it's always perhaps this kind of feeling of, of a world that you didn't necessarily make that was given to you by your parents it's a thing that I think youth have always kind of rebelled against uh, you know we have to inherit a planet that's you know global warming and we didn't contribute to that and um, it just I think it's just kind of has always been looking for ways to kind of have their own unique ownership of self-expression well it's interesting because if you see the sort of mainstream media as the publishers and editors of the information that is put in front of us then essentially you know not only are we being giving the given the news but we're also being given what we should or shouldn't be listening to just or or reading right. just by virtue of it being something that's publicly produced and and put out there for commerce and i guess this is uh, you know yet another way of of getting back at the authorities in charge in terms of telling us what we should or shouldn't be listening to what we should or shouldn't be reading by by creating the access for people to read whatever they want to or whatever whatever you want them to by putting yeah. out what it is you write or produce or or create and um i i i can't help but wonder where this is all going to lead us in terms of the democratic society that we're in and and will it ultimately give us better work to um, participate with, or will it give us work that's actually far less uh, superior than what has ever been put out? So, I think yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know. Sometimes, sometimes I think you know it has the potential that everybody gets burnt out on it, and everybody start reading again because they'll get over inundated and and just like just burnt out visually um, by by all of this all the time. Maybe perhaps the book will come back and everyone will be reading because it's just overload. Yeah, I can't imagine Oprah having a you know YouTube book club. Yeah, <laughs> YouTube esque or a book club for YouTube. That is. Well, we'll we have to take our final break. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the Creative Director and Senior Vice President at MTV, Jeffrey Keaton. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages. So. Please don't go away. Strengthening your financial goals. The leader in business talk radio. Voice America Business. Welcome back to Voices of Design. We're speaking with Joshua Davis, who puts his designs through computer programs to create unusual abstract designs. Joshua, some of your critics say that you're not the creator of the finished artwork. The computer is. What would you say to that? You know, this is truly something that I love, um, making the things that I do. And it's, it's this thing that's inside of me to make things. And whether the public likes it or not, totally doesn't matter. And I think at the end of the day, the, the most important thing, work like hell. You know, I never stop working. Whether I fail, whether I succeed, I'm always working like hell. And, uh, and that's what I do. Day in and day out. You've been listening to Voices of Design, brought to you by Adobe. For more information, visit adobe.com. Hi, I'm Sean Markey of Georgia Pacific, and I'm here to invite you to attend Fuse, Brand Identity and Package Design, this April in New York City. You might have heard the Bad Boys of Design segment on Design Matters, but now you can see it in person. The Fuse event is proud to announce their own version of the show, The Bad Boys of Brand Design. 
as the official kickoff to the 2007 event. Join me along with other brand designers from Colgate Palmolive, Starbucks, Johnson & Johnson, and Del Monte as we discuss how design can strategically build your brand. Plus, hear from design leaders from OXO, Procter & Gamble, Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia, and more who will give you actionable insights for fueling change and driving growth in your company. For more information, call 888-670-8200. Visit www.iirusa.com slash BIPD or email register at iirusa.com. Mention that you heard about the event from Design Matters and receive a $200 discount off the standard fee. I'll see you April 16th to the 18th at Pier 60 at Chelsea Piers in New York City. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 866-472-5790. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.47 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the Creative Director and Senior Vice President at MTV, Jeffrey Keaton. Jeffrey, we have a caller on the line for you. Uh, we have Isabel on the line. Isabel, thank you for calling Design Matters. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi. Jeffrey, I imagine that you obviously will have a lot more creative license at MTV than, say, another station like CNN. Right. And though I understand that you are the gatekeeper of and for the brand, I'm really interested in the process of how you approach creative projects, like new programming. Is your first inclination to be more evolutionary, or do you feel like you can be revolutionary right off the bat? And how do you edit yourself? I think it's kind of, um, you know, once again, I'm not responsible for the programming, so I just want to um, state that. But I think it's it's really kind of pretty much a collaborative process, and I think the approach to it is to kind of think out of the box and kind of constantly invent and, and reinvent. I mean, that you know, that is a philosophy. What's interesting, you know, no matter whether you're, you know, a conservative company or, or um something like MTV is really kind of, I think, essential for anybody's livelihood and survival to kind of embrace. So, so but then I guess you could say to what degree do you do if you want to take that and in, in, in how far. And I think there's a, you know, a lot of times, too, that there's what won't people see is, is how many things we kind of do that, you know, sometimes even on our end get rejected because they may seem a little perhaps too ahead of them. The curve, or or you, you we kind of do things so so quickly, you know, experimenting because we try to keep a very kind of experimental, fresh, you know, approach to it, and and sometimes we'll kind of change something so quickly that it might not even get the recognition for kind of doing something breakthrough because it's always that kind of pursuit of, of pushing it. So yeah, I think it's kind of like you know setting the bars up pretty high. And, and exploring that and, and keeping things open. And, and, and luckily you work with a group of people where I think it's all smart and can kind of tell you whether perhaps you've gone too far or the audience won't connect with that. And, 
because still even though we're experimental and want to be forward-thinking, we are trying to attract a, uh, a mass audience. Oh, Does that kind of answer the question? Yes, it did. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for You're calling, Isabel. Sure, take care. Jeffrey, um, what advice would you give designers working with a corporation in order to get work that is more edgy or risky approved? I mean, I know that you just said that you are still working in a mainstream, uh, for a mainstream audience to a degree, but there's no question that MTV has been on the forefront of many of the major design trends over the time that you've been with the organization. So what advice would you give designers to? to I, think, I think one is really understanding the, the context of, of your environment and, 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 and how that organization relates. To, to all of that and working within that because I think you know, a lot of things can go awry when you're just simply you know, have something that might not even belong or be appropriate for that context. I mean, if your audience is a 65-year-old uh, and you're doing something that looks like you know, a punk rock thing, you know, that's a very kind of literal example of, of the context, but often sometimes I think people will be a little insensitive to, to, that, to that context. And then... Within that, and, you know, I feel like, you know, I still get better and better each year, and that's something that excites me. I feel I'm more creative today than I was 20 years ago. Um, I truly believe that is how you articulate that, how you can express that and explain that is, is um, something that can always be improved and really, really helpful. Because if you don't have that kind of reasoning, that articulation, be able to put it into the correct context, it becomes very difficult to to um, to sell these things and have an idea and have a reason reason why. Because if it's just about decoration and it looks good and and um, you kind of um, you know just say that, it's just it never kind of really flies. So once again, it's having a reason behind the work, an idea that explains why you did something, even if it's, you know, why you picked the font, uh, why it's a certain color, why you did something you did. It's be able to kind of really kind of express that verbally, what it's about, um, even though what's so ironic about it sometimes about that whole notion is ultimately when the work lives, it has to live and communicate with a viewer without any of that reasoning that you have to give to people or clients or that need to approve this stuff. Now, what do you do if your clients at MTV reject work or ask you to make a change that you don't want to make or you don't feel is a prudent thing to do for the project or the brand? I mean, you think you get to a point where you just have to say it's being compromised too much and, and, um, and then you just kind of say, hey, look, I th- you know, you just be honest about that. You say, you know, I can respect your opinion. I don't agree, but at this point... It's just being too compromised, and, and then you go back and you know don't have a bad attitude about it, but you just have to go rethink it and understand what they're saying. Sometimes they have very valid point of views, but you know. But one approach that you know we usually do is we kind of you know I'm a big believer in that you, know, you need to control the cards, mm. and, and you kind of you know if you set things up right, what people don't realize they may feel like they're they're kind of having a say in it, but to some degree you're trying to kind of influence and, and sway and move something your way with still having someone feel like they're participating and commenting without getting something, you know, thrown down their throats. You know, very simple ones sometimes. If I think something's 
the obvious solution. I might say, hey, we kind of went down this route, but it's the obvious solution, and you could see all the heads kind of like bobbing. That's obvious, but but if a client or someone picks the obvious solution, it could be, you know, a really uphill battle to kind of say to them, you pick the obvious solution, because I don't think any person as a human being wants to be kind of told, like, you're not cool, you didn't pick the right one, you made a bad decision. And, right. You know, that's even harder when someone controls the purse strings and is writing a check. Right. So, this, um, you know, once again, a thing to do, in my opinion, is just avoid getting yourself in that situation in, in the first place. And, once again, explain to someone why certain things don't work or give them the, con- you know, the courtesy of when they make suggestions to say, you know, you have to acknowledge, you know, it's simple sometimes the saying, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I res- respectfully disagree, you know, and sometimes those little subtleties can go a long way, you know, when I was younger, I might have been like, fuck you, you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you know, I mean, I'm the guy, and... Did you actually do that with clients? With, yeah, with I mean, yeah? I, yeah, you know, I mean, I have a funny story, once I was arguing with someone over color, you know. And what happened? And we were just, you know, and he says, you know, I went, hey, I study Joseph Itton's and all this stuff, and, you know, I kind of got trained for color, and he's like, well, I don't like the color, and I kind of looked at him, and he was in schlubby jeans and, and a schlubby t-shirt, and I looked at <laughs> myself, and I was in schlubby jeans, and I said, I, I'm, not, I'm not physically looking um, like, a, like a taste maven, so from that day on, I, you know, I went to Paul Smith, and I bought myself a bunch of really clothes and, and become much more conscious of how I project myself to look like. I just want to look at someone who looks at me when it comes to a style thing to be essentially uh, like, hey, if it does come down to taste, I've got more taste than you. <laughs> but I figured I had to project that because if you just look at that notion of everything communicates, um, why should I say I've got more taste than you? When I, and at that moment, I don't physically represent that. Why should he believe me just because I say so? Yeah. Well, I think that that's very sad advice. I remember once, uh, very, very early on in my career, um, one of the senior executives at the company that I was working for told me that I shouldn't dress for the job I have. I should dress for the job I want to have. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, yeah. we, unfortunately, we've come to the end of the broadcast. It's been such a treat to be able to talk with you for this hour. Um, thank you so much for, for joining us here thank at Design you. Matters. I'd also like to thank um, our my very special thanks to Ryan, my producer, who is moving off of the show today. It's our last day together. I'm very sad about that. I'd like to thank uh, our sponsor, Adobe. Big thanks to Brian Travis and Ruben Colomb at Voice America, Lisa Grant and Jen Simon at Sterling. Joining me next week is artist Barbara Kruger. Thank you for listening, and please remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Melman, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 